scripture that we've been um, uh, using for the DNA of the Apostolic Church, or as I have um, entitled it, the core values of the Apostolic Church. The core values of the Apostolic Church. We've been talking about it. Uh, the first thing we talk about, and when I talk about these core values, understand this. I said the core values of the apostolic church. To become a part of the church or to become the church, you have to get the revelation of who Jesus is. And when you get the revelation of who Jesus is, that should compel you to surrender your life to him, meaning repentance, dying to yourself, being baptized in water in his name for the remission of sins, him being him in filling you with his spirit. And that is the process of being born again and becoming a part of the church. Now, when you are now a part of the church I am talking to you about the core values you must exercise in order to do the will of God and to remain a part of the church of the living God. So when we talk about the core values of the apostolic church, it means that you have become a part of the church. So these are the core values that will drive you. These are the core values that you need to take hold of and understand that you must implement these things in your life. They are the core values or the DNA. It, it must be in you. These are things that must be lived out in your life. And so as we have been reading in Acts chapter 2, verse 36, we said, Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God had made that same Jesus, whom ye have crucified, both Lord and Christ. That's Acts chapter 2, verse 36, and we'll read it through 47. Now, when they heard this, again, these people weren't a part of the church yet. But they were taught that Jesus Christ is God and man, that he is the Messiah, and he was the one who came to die for their sins and to save them. But they crucified him. So when that was told to them, the Bible says here in, in, in verse 37, now when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart. They were, they, they, they were convicted in their heart. And said unto Peter, who was the one preaching to them, and to the rest of the apostles who were there to support, men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter, the preacher, said unto them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For the promise is unto you and to your children and to all that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. And with many other words did he testify and exhort, saying, Save yourselves from this untoward generation. Verse 41, I love it. Verse 41 says, Then they that gladly receive his word were baptized. Can I point out to us tonight? If we don't gladly receive the word of God, the chances of us obeying the word of God will probably be very slim. 
I believe that that's one of the biggest challenges or one of the biggest challenge that we face today is are we glad to receive the word of God? Do we realize that the word of God is God's word and it's powerful and it's quick and sharper than any two-edged sword? Do we understand that the word of God has power and when it's executed, when it's carried out, it changes things? Because if we knew that, then when the word of God is spoken to us, then maybe we will receive it gladly, meaning we will obey it, and now we will get to see the Word of God working in our lives. So I believe that if we're not receiving the Word of God gladly, it challenges us to just not exercise it, not 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 to apply it to our lives. So if we're going to listen tonight carefully, first thing I'm going to tell you is we need to start asking ourselves, am I receiving the word of God gladly or am I receiving the word of God? May not even be receiving the, the word of God. Am I just hearing it? And when it goes against my philosophy and my thinking and how I feel, then I'm not going to receive it gladly. Can I challenge you again? I just challenge you one way already. Will you now start to receive the word of God gladly, whether or not you like it, it make you feel good or not. You just know that's the word of God and I'm going to receive it gladly and live by it. I'm challenging you with that. Here's the second thing I'm challenging you with. As I was driving over here, I thought about this. Have you stopped to look at your life and say, How many things in my life I do that's selfish and how many things in my life that I do that's selfless? And you be real honest with that and see where it takes you. Because if we become very honest with that, we will see why we're not changing. Because how we, most of us live our lives We look to see what fits with our ideology, what fits with how we feel, what fits with what, you know, the things that we do in our lives practically and and, and majority of the times. And if we're hearing or seeing something that doesn't fit with that, then we just dismiss it. Well, we will never change. We will never change. And so we need to challenge ourselves and say, because it's going to shock you. The things you do for self and the things you do that are selfless. It's going to shock you. I know it's going to be tough, but you need to try it. And you will see how much changing we all have to do. Because we're doing things for us. And we'll see a little bit when we get into the lesson tonight how it's going to help us to understand that we don't need to be selfish. A Christian don't need to be selfish. A Christian don't have to worry about, I need to accomplish this and I need to accomplish that. I'm getting there. Then they gladly receive his word, were baptized in the same day. Same day. Act right on it. There were added unto them about 3,000 souls. So I don't know how many people was present at the time. Could be millions, could be tens of thousands. But the bottom line, when Peter preached the message about what they did to Jesus, the Savior, and they were pricked in their heart, they responded right away. Oh, no, I need to make a I need to make a change and get my life right because I I, I did that. I got to make the change. And they gladly received the word. And right away they started doing what the word of God told them to do. 
So here is our key scripture we've been using, uh, verse 42. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. We talked about the apostles' doctrine. That was the first lesson we talked about. If you want to hear these things that you may have missed, you can always go to the website, ChristCenteredOnline.com, ChristCenteredOnline.com, and you will be able to listen to all of our Bible studies, all of our preaching, whatever you'd like. Just go to where it says messages or archives. It might change around, but you can go there. And we have a podcast as well, Christ Centered Church, so you can go and listen to it. But please, listen to these messages. They will help you and move things along in your walk with Christ. So Apostles doctrine was the first thing we talked about then last week we talked about fellowship and the importance again these are the dna the core values of the church if you're going to be a part of the church you must be sound in doctrine doctrine mean teaching you must be always involved and engaged with fellowship we talked about what fellowship is and what fellowship is not Only people that have things in common can fellowship. Everything else you do outside of that as a Christian is being a witness. When we are like-minded and we have things in common, then fellowship means we can talk about a lot of things or everything because we have things in common. If I try to fellowship with someone that I don't have something in common with, that's not going to work for me because what I stand for, they don't stand for. It's not that I don't love them, but we're going to not be able to fellowship because we're going to be in such disagreement. But, but, but when I fellowship with someone that have the same doctrine that I have, then guess what? We will do well together because we can have great conversations. Because we can express things that the other person could say, you know what, I understand that. You know what, that happened to me too. And so if we're not fellowshipping with like-minded, then what we're doing is we're being witnesses. Salt and light and a witness. So I talked about apostles' doctrine and I talked about fellowship. The next thing was, and in breaking of bread. So listen, all for the... Since I taught last week, I've been studying to teach you tonight about prayers. For some reason, I didn't realize breaking of bread was next. So I'm going to flip this thing. I'm going to teach you about prayers tonight. And next week, we'll talk about breaking of bread. How about that? So we'll talk about prayers tonight. So this is our key verse here. Verse 43 says, And fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. Can I tell you this? When you follow the teaching, the doctrine, the word of God, the Bible, when you follow it exactly the way it's it's written, it's being preached, it's being taught, when you do it, you will get the results. And the Bible says, signs and wonders shall follow them that believe. If I believe and I re and mind you, if you believe, you will obey the scripture according to how it's written. You can't say you believe, but uh, I don't know about that. And I don't feel like you have to do that. When you say you believe the word of God, but you start to say, I don't believe you have to do that. You don't understand who God is. God does not do anything that 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 is meaningless or useless. You and I do. And so we can do things just because we just do it. 
Why do you do that? I don't even know. I just did it. God didn't put anything in this Bible just because to take up room. Everything in it is meaningful. And if we're going to believe it, we have to believe all of it or it's like believing none of it. And so signs and wonders will follow those that believe. So when they did what they were supposed to do, when they repented and got baptized and God filled them with the Holy Spirit and they started practicing the core values, the apostles doctrine, the fellowship, the breaking of bread and prayers. When they started practicing those things in their life, 43 says fear came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. If we're not seeing signs and wonders wherever we are, whether it's in this church or just throughout our region, if we're not seeing it, it must be we need to go back and say, are we practicing the word of God, the apostles' doctrine? Are we fellowshipping? Are we breaking bread together? Are we praying like we're supposed to pray? Because if we're doing those things, then signs and wonders must follow us. That's God's word. And all that believed were together and had all things common and sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all men as every man had need. And they continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking of bread from house to house did, their, did they did, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord, who did? The Lord added to the church daily such as are such as should be saved. So that's been our text. And we've been going over that. And that's wonderful. Now, since we're going to talk about prayer tonight, I'm going to help you understanding how you should pray. Can I say this? When you are a babe in Christ, things work differently than when you start to learn and start to grow in Christ. And I, you've heard me said this before, but I'll continue to say it. Sometimes we misunderstand or we think that we don't realize that the natural and the spiritual, they mirror one another. And so in the natural, when a baby is born, you don't expect that baby to stay the same age or the same mental. You expect for that baby to grow. You expect for that baby to mature. You expect for that baby to have greater mental and, and, and educational capacity. And so you start to treat them as such as they grow. Well, that's what God does with that spiritual. And so when you start out as a babe, you don't even know what to ask God. You probably don't even know how to pray. You don't understand what prayer is and how it all works. You just say stuff. You heard the pastor. You heard people around you pray. So you're like, oh, okay. And you just pray. And God begins to Answer those prayers. He's like, whoa, this is pretty cool that I'm praying to God and here he is doing things for me. And then you grow in church. Things are moving along. And then those same prayers you pray that God 
did something for you, you're still praying them and God is not doing it anymore. And so that sends you for a tailspin because you don't want to change. Now you're like, what in the world? And you get discouraged. Now you start questioning everything in the Bible. And you never did when you were young and in in, in being saved. You didn't question anything because it was all working great. So the trick is God is treating you as one as a baby. And so when you didn't know anything and you didn't understand anything, he just walked with you and helped you along and gave you stuff that you needed even when you didn't know what to ask and even when you couldn't talk and all of that. He just took care of you. But remember, he set you in a local congregation where he expect for you to listen, where he expect for you to understand, where he expect for you to begin to implement, apply the teaching in your life and start to grow. And so as you start growing, he starts dealing with you on the level you're supposed to be. And so now those prayers, God don't respond to anymore, because if he does, he's going to keep you a babe. <laughs> If you start answering to the mumble jumble, you used to say, you stay a babe and your, your language don't develop the way you are won't develop because you, you're acting like the baby and you've been around for a little bit. And he's like, if I keep responding to you like that, what, what they say? They teach us, we didn't notice or the elders didn't notice. Um, but now, you know, all you smart people, you know, cause times have changed and we have all this information. We, now we say, you know, we used to go to bed. We do that to the baby. Man, you do that to people, baby, now they get upset. Don't do that. Speak to my child. Because they understand. And we want them to learn the proper no, uh, terminology. And we want them to speak the proper way. But back in the day, oh, that was it. And that was our thing. We loved it. But now that we're educated, now that we're not, we realize the impact of the brain, how developed it is. And we need to make sure we address them the proper way. So God is dealing with us just like that. As the teaching comes in, as you begin to grow in him, those babbling prayers you used to pray, he says, Mm-mm. You, 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 you're growing up now, so I need for you to come up to a certain level of how I'm going to deal with you. So what I'm going to talk to you about tonight, I don't want you to dismiss it and say, yeah, pastor, you can say that. But the, um, I talked to God and God did this. The other thing, let me slip this in before I move on to the next thing. You can pray something that God already intended of doing. You can pray something God already intended on doing. And so God did it. It just so happened when you prayed it, eventually God did it. And you're like, wow, God answered my prayer. Did he really answer your prayer? Or he was going to do what he was going to do no matter what. You just happened to say it. That's another thing we don't think about. God answered my prayer. How do you know he answered your prayer? And you don't know if that's what he planned on doing anyhow. See that? So we have to be careful in how we approach this prayer thing and make sure we're on our game. So there's a lot of prayers in the Bible, but we're always going to visit the prayer in Matthew chapter 6 verse 7 because the disciples asked Jesus to teach them how to pray. So if they say, Lord, teach us how to pray, and he says, pray in this manner then we kind of have to take that and run with that. So there are prayers all throughout the Bible. 
But this is the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples to pray. But when you pray, use not vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they shall be heard for their much speaking. Now, when it says use not vain repetition, it's saying repetition meaning to repeat a thing often. To say the same thing in different words over and over. To repeat the same words as though God didn't hear it the first time when you said it. An example of this particular teaching here with Jesus, when he says, don't pray like the heathens do, saying with much repetition. An example of that is in 1 Kings 18 and 26. And that's when the heathens, when they prayed to their God, Baal, they kept saying, Baal, hear us. Baal, hear us. Baal, hear us. And they would repeat that over and over and over and over. They would repeat, Baal, hear us. Because that's how the heathen prays to their God. Why? Because their God ain't really God. Their gods don't have no power. So when you're praying to a God with no power, it's going to force you to keep saying the same thing over and over. Why? Because you're not seeing any results. But when you're praying to the true and living God, our Father, you don't have to do that to him. Because the Bible says he's all-knowing. The Bible says he's all-powerful. The Bible says he's all-present everywhere all at once. So you don't have to keep reminding him. You don't have to keep saying the same thing over and over to him. Verse number 8 says, be not ye therefore like unto them. For your father, this is a tricky one, listen to this. For your father knoweth what things you have need of before you ask him. Woo! Woo! If God is your heavenly father, the Bible says, which make all the sense in the world. As I mentioned to you, God teaches us about himself, showing us things in the natural so we can understand spiritual things. In the natural, if everything is normal, daddy and mommy is home and you live at home, tell me what dad don't know what his kids need. Think about that. You're a crazy dad if you're living in the same house with your children and you don't know what they need. And let me help you out. Let me help you out. Just in case you said whatever. Let me help you out. Sister Arabia, let me help you out. And so if Larry don't know, guess who going to tell him? Sister Arabia, who going to tell Larry if he don't know? There you go. You see what I'm saying? So daddy going to know one way or another in the natural. We in the same house. We going to know what the kids need. So they don't have to tell me what they need. Keyword need, because they're going to come to you at once. But the need, we got that. Jordan, Monroe, we got that. We know what you need. You don't have to keep saying what you need. Now, what you want, you can keep on talking about it, and we might just ignore you. But what you need, we know it, and we'll make sure it's okay, and you get it. 
So if we are natural flesh and blood that is not all powerful, that is not all knowing, and that is not all present, and we know what our children need, Heavenly Father, that is all powerful, that is all knowing, that is all present. He knows every need you have. So ponder this real quick. So why do we even bother to pray and tell him what we want, what we need? Just think about that for a second. We'll get to that. Why are we telling him what we need if he knows what we need? That cut out, that cut out a lot of our prayers. If this is true, which it is because God's word is true, that cuts out a lot of our prayers that we pray because we're always praying about something we need. Well, so we think we need. And we pray so much about what we need that if we prayed for a half hour, probably 20 minutes of those half hour is what we need. So if Jesus is telling us, I know what you need. Now, what are we going to do about praying about that? And so verse 9 says, after this manner, therefore, pray ye, our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. So let's look at this prayer, and I won't keep you much longer. The prayer is called the Lord's Prayer. Why is it called the Lord's Prayer? Because Jesus gave it to the disciples to pray, as well as to be a pattern for their prayers. Jesus did not give them this prayer for them to recite over and over. I don't know about you, but when I was in school, we had to say the Lord's Prayer in the morning, every morning almost. That's the kind of school I was in. Of course, I was in a foreign country. And so every morning we had devotion. They, they don't have, man, I don't know. Did they do that in America? Um, let me see how long ago that was now. So that would be probably about um, like 42, 43, 44 years ago. Did they have um, morning devotions and stuff like that in school in America? They, okay. Okay. All right. Because we sure did have devotion. And one of our classes had to be religious education. I don't know what happened. But anyway, <laughs> it was, uh, we, we recited the Lord's Prayer. And you had to know it by heart. And every once in a while they called some, some of the students up. You had to lead prayer that morning. Oh, God. <laughs> but the point was, we said the Lord's Prayer. And we said this prayer that I just read, we just read. We, 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 we said it verbatim. We just went through it. But that's not the intent that Jesus had when he gave us this prayer. He gave it to us as a pattern. Jesus gave us the prayer or gave the prayer to his disciples. Therefore, those who follow Christ like us, should pray it as well. But the prayer is a pattern. It's not the prayer that you pray. You don't keep reciting it because then that becomes uh, rep repetition. If every day you wake up, say the same thing. Our Father, 
who are in heaven. I'll be there every day. What does that mean? Vain repetition. So let's break down what Jesus was trying to tell his disciples and what he's trying to get us to understand here about the prayer he told his disciples about. First thing we must understand about this, this prayer, it, 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 it kind of lays out the order and the things that we need to bring to his attention. I looked at the meaning, the definition of prayer in my study Bible, and I can't find any place where it tells me anything other than prayer is entreating or petitioning God. These are the two definitions I got for prayer. Entreating or petitioning God. And the other definition was worship. You know, we like to say prayer is communication to God, and I still believe that it is. But when you look up the, the, the biblical text and you try to search it out to say, what does prayer mean? Entreating God or petitioning God or worshiping God. So let's move on here. If God knows what we need, why bother praying to him? If God knows what we need, why? That's that's something that I believe people ask. And sometimes, you know, when you're not taught properly, I think that it's easy to just. Some people think religion is crazy. And you've heard me said this before, they, they conclude that religion is crazy because we don't study the doctrine, the teaching uh, to the point where we can convey it correctly we need to be sure we understand the word of god so we can convey it properly because somebody's going to ask why bother praying god knows everything why bother praying right okay i'm going to tell you why why bother praying because god is not like sending or should i say it this way prayer is not like sending an order supply to God, which is how a lot of people pray. A lot of people just sending their order, God, and we need this, and God, will you do this? And God, it's, it's an order, it's an order form. So we just fill out the order and submit it. Prayer develops an intimate personal relationship with an abundantly loving God who always happens to know us deeply. So the first thing you want to know about God is he knows you in the most deepest way, in the most uh, intimate way. God knows you. Your spouse don't know you like God knows you. Your parents don't know you like God knows you. You might not have done it yet, but I started doing it. I'm 51 years old, and I find myself very curious now about when I was little. Always going back in my mind when I was little. Trying to investigate my own self now. I want to learn more about myself. I want to learn about things that I did and why am I the way that I am today. I want to learn that now. I didn't care about that when I was 20-something. I didn't care about that when I was 30-something. I didn't care about that when I was 40-something. But it seems like once you hit the big 5-0, you start getting curious about 
who you are, what you used to do, why did you do it, what drove you, what motivates you. You want to learn about yourself? And so you can get no better answer about you from anybody else but the almighty God, the creator of everything. He is the one that can tell you what nobody else can tell you about you. So why pray? Part of it is I want to know some stuff about me. I want to understand some stuff about me. Because mama can't answer it. Daddy can't answer it. Aunts, nephews can't answer it. Spouse can't answer it. Only the creator can answer it. The one who knows everything. So I'm praying to him, asking him some questions about who I am. Uh-huh. Yeah. His knowledge of us should encourage us towards confident, focused prayer. Our need to know and understand our purpose in him and his mission that we must engage him. So one of the biggest question or a question that we get people asking all the time. Why am I here? What is my purpose? And I think it's a great question. And shame on every one of us who never come to the place of understanding. Why did I ever get to this place? We need to ask ourselves, how did I get to this place? Where am I? Who am I? What am I supposed to do? We are the most intelligent creation of Almighty God. And it would be sad that all of creation around us have a purpose, but we don't. All of creation, your refrigerator, electricity, the trees, you just keep going. Has a purpose. And cannot compare with the intelligence, with what we are. Nothing compares. So why would I let something with no life that's going to one day get destroyed? We live forever. Do you know that? We're going to live forever. We're going to exist forever. Once we exist, we're going to exist for all eternity. That's how wonderfully made we are. So can you imagine that that's who we are and we're going to be the ones that not know our purpose? We're going to be the ones that don't fulfill our purpose and everything else around us will? That has no value? That one day will pass away and we will never pass away. Our flesh may die. But our soul, which is who we are, will live on forever. We need to know who we are and what our purpose really is. We, we better know that. And you can't get a better answer from nobody than the creator. We have to pray. We have to pray. This is why I said we got to get to the place where we are okay with change. Because when the creator begin to direct you and begin to speak to you, the creator begin to work in your life, you're going to have to be okay with change. 
because you better believe that who he created us, allow us to be born to be, that's not who we are right now. Even me, I feel like I'm probably behind in what he designed me to be. In my, in, in, in my own time, sometimes I find myself in tears because I'm asking myself, everybody have their reason to try to question or to find out if there's really a heaven, what would prevent me? Well, normal people. If there's really a heaven, what would prevent me from going and what do I need to do to make sure I go? You know what I worry about? Am I fulfilling my purpose? Because I believe, and I'm sure it's somewhere in the Bible, I just that's just not what I'm on right now. I believe that your purpose in life is tied to your eternal life. So I'm saying if I don't fulfill my purpose, then I'm going to miss out on where I spend eternity at. So it's important to me that I know my purpose and I'm fulfilling that purpose because that's how I'm going to spend eternity with Almighty God. And so I challenge myself all the time. Are you fulfilling your purpose, dude? Are you walking in the purpose God called you to walk in? Because if you're not, I don't care what people see you as. That doesn't matter to God. Because God created you for a purpose, and that's the purpose he's interested in. Not what you want, and not what other people are telling you you should. That's why we got to pray. <laughs> because if we pray, guess what will happen? God will show your purpose, and the spiritual authority that he will place in your life will confirm what God has for you, your purpose. We must pray about God's redemptive work, the way we labor together and how we can be a witness to this world. Jesus taught his disciples to pray in relationship with the Father and with each other. What do you mean by that, preacher? The prayer started off by saying, our Father. So first thing is, you got to realize about the Lord's Prayer, when you begin to pray, you are going to acknowledge Almighty God as our Father. If He's our Father, it means that we are His children. If you are a child, it means you follow the instructions of your Father. Don't get quiet on me now. So prayer already, when we start, says, I'm under authority. My father is in authority. And now when I call on him, I have the right to call on him as a son, as a daughter. We have the right to call on him because he's our father. But we must realize, but what daddy tells us to do, yes, sir. Okay, I will. Because we are the children. He is the dad. And so when we start our prayers off, that's what we must acknowledge. Almighty God is our Father. He is responsible for us being here. Physically and spiritually. Oh, come on, help us, Jesus. 
Jesus taught his disciples to pray in right relationship with him, acknowledging him as father. I'll get to you. I'll get it to you in a second. Failing to acknowledge our relationship with Jesus and each other can open the door to ungodly prayers. So, as you grow up and no longer a babe in Christ, you can pray ungodly prayers. As a baby, no prayers ungodly because you're just a baby. You don't know one thing. You're just praying, saying how you feel, and God is treating you like a baby. But as you start to grow up, you can begin to pray ungodly prayers, which I think I worry about a lot of us about that, because I think that a lot of people don't put their all in all. They don't put a lot of effort and emphasis in living for God because they want results that they're not getting. They want results that they're not getting. And there's two things wrong with that. Selfishness, but you could be praying the wrong prayers. When, we, when we're not getting the results that we want through prayer, two things could be going on. You're being selfish, and you're not praying the right prayers. But somehow we're going to put it on God. He's supposed to be this loving God. He knows how I feel. He knows what I'm going through. Why isn't he answering my prayers? Because he don't want to raise no selfish, selfish child that's all into themselves. Spoiled child that all they ever do is, give me, give me, give me, my name is Jimmy. That's not who he's trying to raise. He's trying to raise children who are selfless. But our way of being is Selfish. Uh huh. It goes on to say, Hallowed be thy name. The word hallowed means to render uh, or pronounce God's name as holy. That sacred name. What's his name? His name is Jesus. And that sacred name should be spoken with reverence. When we say Jesus, it must be some reverential way of being that just moves in you. Oh, Jesus. And some of us say Jesus just to say it. God's name is holy. God's name represents who he is. Think about this. When somebody say your name, are they thinking about... What? What are they thinking about when they say your name? They're thinking about who you are, how you are. So your name becomes who you are. Your name is not separate from you. When someone's think your name, if, if you're not around and they're thinking about you, they're thinking about who you are. The name is not so much the focus. It's who you are. This is why we read on Sunday when, 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 when Paul and John was heading to uh, the temple and, and the man at the gate who were lame cried out 
and he wanted arms, and they say, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. That name is more than just a name. This is why the man can get up and walk because that name is something miraculous. That name is heavenly. That name is special and should be called in a reverential way. That name is who he is. Just like your name is who you are. You think when people say your name, they're thinking about your name? No, your name makes them begin to think about who you are as a person. That's how they look. You say somebody's name, we start thinking about them. We start thinking about their moves. We start thinking about, you know, how they live their life. We're not thinking about the name anymore. The name is to recognize who the person is. So when we call out that name of Jesus, we are recognizing who he is, that he is almighty God manifest in flesh. He is the one that we will meet in the air when the time comes. He's the one that we will spend eternity with if we continue on the course that he has set us on. Hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. The kingdom must come before daily bread or other felt needs. So here is something me, so many of us, we're doing in prayer. If you look at, if you ever receive a prayer wheel, you'll see that we always tell people when you start to pray, you praise God, you worship God, then after that, you repent. That really wasn't right. And probably the reason why we, we, we taught people to pray that way is because, again, we don't remain in right relationship with God. Because we're supposed to be in right relationship with God that when we begin to pray, we don't have to get into that right away. But a lot of times we feel compelled to get into that right away because we just feel like, ilk, I'm just, I need, I'm just not lining up with who God wants me to be. And so we like to throw the repentance in there. But if you look at the prayer, the Lord's prayer, repentance don't come up front. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. No repentance yet. Woo. Woo. The kingdom must come before praying for forgiveness. Forgiving, your, forgiving others and you being forgiven of God. The kingdom must come. You must pray about the kingdom before you pray about your forgiveness. The kingdom must come before deliverance from temptation. Seeking the kingdom first puts all other prayers in their place. So if we're going to seek God and pray properly, we're going to pray about the kingdom before we pray about what we need. Remember, though, he knows what we need. So if we're really 
following the word, it makes all the sense in the world that we're not putting up front. Oh, God, I need this. If he respond to us, he can respond. by, didn't I say I have I have I, I, I know what you have need of. Why are you telling me that? I know what you have need of. Let's talk about how we can work together to get some stuff done. The kingdom come refers to God's spiritual reign or God's spiritual rule. Wherever God reigns or rule, his kingdom is manifested. So you can be the kingdom. What do you mean by that, preacher? If God rules in your life, if God reigns in your life, then you become the kingdom of God. Wherever God reigns, whatever territory God reigns in, whatever life God reigns in, wherever God is the ruler and the one that reigns, that's the kingdom. Uh Aside from heaven. Jesus told Nicodemus that he had to be born again of water and of spirit to be able to see the kingdom of God. Being born again remakes our desires and expectation to be set on the Father's will. So when we are born again, before we're born again, we should be... No, let me change that. Before we're born again, we're naturally selfish. We were raised to be selfish. We were raised to think me, me, me. And so we just grew up still making it about us. But that's why the Bible says we must be born again. Because when we become born again, we should now begin to have a different desire and perspective on how things ought to be. Because now we're born into the kingdom of God, where God has the rule. So who we seek first is God and his kingdom. That's tough sledding there because it's hard for us to put God before us. I guess I can do the natural again. For some of us raising our children, they have chores, they have responsibility. And we like to say, as long as you live in my house, you're going to do something in here. And so we give them stuff that they have to do. And they need to do it. Who are they pleasing when they do that? When you, Thank you very much, sis, because we, like, we're afraid to talk in here, but it's okay. When our kids do what we tell them, they're pleasing us. They're not pleasing themselves because you already see how they get twisted up and all kind of talk when you tell them. You know what I mean? So you know they don't want to do it. But they're doing it to please us. That's the natural. Why? They live in your house. They eat your food. They wear the stuff that you buy for them to put on their feet, the clothes that they put on. You take care of all of that. And so you telling them, take the garbage out, make your bed, vacuum the floor, make sure when you use something, you put it back in the proper place, chores like, you know, whatever you got them doing. And that don't please them. They don't, they're not happy about that, but that makes you happy. Because in your mind, I'm raising them the right way, teaching them, you know, things that they need to know and understand. And on top of it, they eat my food, they under my roof, blah, 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 blah. So you ready for the big question? 
What's the difference between you getting saved and being in the kingdom of God? What's the difference? You eating his food? You breathing his breath? You wearing the stuff that he allowed you to wear? All of the stuff is here. He says, I got you. I'm taking care of everything that you need. Now, will you do what I tell you to do? <laughs> so in actuality, when you get born again and you get into the kingdom, it no longer, of, you're no longer in a position to worry about what you need to do. Because he says, I got that. I will take care of that for you. There's no way I'm going to let you not have shoes to wear. There's no way I'm not going to allow you to have clothes to put on your back. There's no way I'm not going to allow you to eat when you need. So now that I got all that taken care of, what do you have need of? Nothing. So do what I tell you to do. I need you to work with me. I got chores for you. Work with me. So now you need to pray, God, show me how you want me to work with you in your kingdom. Show me what you want me to do because you know the plan. You understand what you want to accomplish. I don't. But if you will show me, Lord, I am all ready to go. I'm all yours. Your daddy, I'm son. Your daddy, I'm daughter. Tell me what to do so I can do it. That's prayer. That's prayer. All of that self-centered prayer, we need to throw it out. You live in his house. You eat his food. You breathe his breath. You have his strength. All this stuff, he gave it to you. So you don't have to think about it, he gave it to you. Now all you got to think about is how you can work with him. You know what's funny? Even if you go back to the Garden of Eden, it was like that. From, from the very creation, it was like that. He created Adam, gave him everything to eat. Everything was good. You don't need nothing, Adam. All I want you to do is take care of these guard, take care of the garden. So, so from the very beginning, it was always, I will take care of you need and you work with me to take care of what I need you to take care of. That's what we pray about. That's the relationship. God loves you and he will not suffer you to not have what you need. But the biggest thing now is, what are we doing to work with him? You make your children do what they need to do as long as they're in your house. As long as you're spending your money to take care of your children, you demand them to do what you want. What are you doing about what God is demanding of you to do? Because that's really the essence of prayer. Show me, Lord. Show me, Lord. When it says, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven, think about this. And I'm, I'm five more minutes, I'm done. Think about this. God is all-powerful. Whatever he wants to do in the earth, he can do. So why, why should we pray, thy will be done in the earth? Somebody want to drop that on me? If God is all-powerful, he can do whatever he wants in the earth. Why is he saying that? Yes. You're on to something. So here is what, what, what it is. Because God can just make anything happen. Remember, earthquake happened. Rain happened. So he can make anything he want done in the earth. When it says, thy will be done in earth, it's talking about this earth. Yes, sir. Huh. 
This earthen vessel, you're made of dirt. When you surrender your will and yourself to God, then God can work in your life to do what he wants to do in the earth. So we steady praying, thy will be done in the earth. God can do whatever he wants. He can make it lightning. He can make it thunder. He can make it rain. He can do whatever he wants in the earth. The Bible says, the earth is the Lord's, the fullness thereof, the world and they that dwell therein. Everything belongs to him. He can do whatever he wants. But because we are like him and he made us in his image and he loves us, he won't make us do something he tells us we need to do it, and it's up to us if we respond and receive and obey. Thy will be done in earth. You. So when you pray that from now on, understand you're saying, I surrender, I yield, I submit, whatever you want to do in me. So if today your will is for me to go out into the world and smile all day, and 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 just be a light to somebody and and go out and encourage somebody whatever it is if you want me to give that person a couple of dollars today whatever it is let your will be done in me that's prayer and so when we pray we don't have the right to be asking for all these things that he already says i got your need i'm taking care of your needs now we got to pray about the things he's trying to do in us and through us. Because his desire, the Bible, his will, is not that any one of us should be lost. It's not that any one of us should perish, but that all of us should be saved. But how do people get saved? We help each other get saved. So he's saying, thy will be done in me as it is in heaven. So how things are in heaven, all the righteousness in heaven, all the holiness in heaven, all the love that's in heaven, let it all be in me and work through me so I can be a blessing to you, O oh great God. All right. Let me um, finish up here. Even in the Ten Commandments, if you go study the Ten Commandments, the pattern of it is, just like the Our Father prayer, you and him in deals. It's you and him. The first, the first four commandments in the Bible of uh, the commandment, the first four is about you and God. Never about you and man. You and God. You recognizing him. You getting with him. You and God. The next six is about you and your fellow man. Because we can't get the, the situation right with each other until we get the God part right. That, that's what's killing all of us, or most of us, or many of us. That we're trying to be as good as we can to each other and think we're doing a good job. But if this is not right, you and him, you can't ever work that relationship with other people. And it just won't work the way you want it to work. The biggest challenge I have nowadays, for me personally, I'm sure you have your personal challenges, is listening to people and they telling me a whole lot of things and I'm just like, okay, I can't respond the way my flesh want me to respond. I got to respond godly. And what are you trying to say, preacher? I am trying to say that 
we don't realize that how we communicate and the things that we say, we're telling people more than we're telling them. Mm-hmm. We're telling them more than we're telling them. And we don't realize. And so if you can't get along with people, I don't get upset with you. You know what I say? They must be struggling with God. You didn't tell me that. But I know enough God to know that. So if you're having a hard time with your relationships, that's the first relationship you're having a hard time with. I don't make you any wise. I don't tell you that. I'm just, I just know the word of God. So I know that's what it is. So that keeps me from getting all worked up, getting upset with you. Because I'm understanding that why get upset with them? They're only going to get just crazier. Because the bottom line is, if this was right, they wouldn't respond the way they are. Because when this is not right, your peace is gone. Your joy is gone. You're always on edge. You're always frustrated. You're always fussing. There's always an issue. You're always worried about everything. When this is not right, but when this is right, you know the all-powerful, loving God that is your Father. Have everything under control, and He will not allow anything to destroy you. He says, no weapon formed against you will prosper. He said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I will be with you till the end of the world. He goes on to tell you, my promises are yea and amen. I'm coming back for you. I'm coming back. He's telling us, so why am I worked up? Why am I on edge? Why am I worried? If I know all of that, it's because this is not right. So why am I going to fuss with people when they're acting crazy? I got to pray. God. Help them. Maybe they're missing something. Reveal yourself to them so they restore their understanding and their knowledge of who you are so they will be able, Lord God, to get back on track. I'm not mad at them. And finally, answered prayers. Prayers get answered if they are prayed right. They don't get answered when you grow up and they're not prayed right. If we pray according to the pattern of the Lord's prayer and we pray according to the word of God, he will answer. Here's the proof. John 15, verse 7. If ye abide in me and my words abide in you, listen to this, you shall ask what you will and it shall be done unto you. Did you know that was in the Bible? If you abide in me. And my words abide in you. You shall ask what you will. It means if you continue in Christ, if you dwell in Christ, whatever you ask, he will do it. But here is the caveat. God is slick. Let me just say that just to mess with the Lord. He's slick. What he knows is if you abide in him, you will know what to pray. <laughs> That's the slick stuff he did to us. If we abide in Christ, we will know what to pray. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. Oh, God, we will know what to pray. And so he knows. And so we're not praying according to the pattern. We're not seeing answers and we're getting frustrated. And so it says, 
Give us this day our daily bread. The daily bread is the word of God. The daily bread is whatever provision that God will have to give you to make you do his will that day. So when I say, Lord, give us this day our daily bread, it means his word or whatever provision he needs to give us to make us do his will. So we can go forward to do. give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses. That's now where we start saying, God, forgive me for sinning against you. Forgive me for trespassing against you and here here's the big one and God anybody that did me wrong I forgive them I hold no charge to them and I don't have nothing in my heart against them I forgive them and I'm saying it clear as day this morning I pray I say it with joy on my face because guess why I know if I can't do that easily then God can't forgive me Woo! So I look forward to forgiving anybody that offended me. Anybody that did me wrong, I'm okay. I am quite comfortable with saying, God, forgive him. God, forgive him. God, forgive her. God, forgive them. I'm okay with it. Why? Because he's forgiven me. And that's the real forgiveness that matters. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespass as we forgive those that trespass and lead us not into temptation. So we're saying, God, keep me from temptation. You know my weaknesses. Keep me away from all of my weaknesses. And deliver me from evil. For everyone that tried to come against me and do evil, Lord, uphold me and protect me and keep me that I can do your will. For yours is the kingdom. The kingdom belongs to you. I belong to you. Heaven is yours. The whole world is yours. For thine is the kingdom. And you are all powerful. And you are all glorious. Forever and ever. Amen. Give a Lord a hand clap of praise. Woo! Father, we give you praise in this place. Uh, for there is none like